welcome back to the CI Diary, sponsored by Wayside Publishing. I'm so excited to be back with you to talk today about follow-ups. So we want you to follow along with us for some really uh, great reasons why we do follow-ups and even what is a follow-up. Today, I have a really special guest with me. Her name is Martina Becks. Martina is the founder and CEO at The Comprehensible Classroom, the author of The Somos Curriculum. She's a former Spanish teacher and just an all-around amazing lady. And I'm so glad that you agreed to come on the podcast today, Martina. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for pro probably 10 years now, oh, and yeah. I think that it's our first date at the uh, at the Melting Pot. Yeah, it's a day that will live in infamy. And yeah, me. and I mean, I've, I've been learning from you for that whole time, and I've gotten so many different ideas for not just follow up activities for other, um, but other things as well. But definitely follow up activities. So I'm excited to be talking about some of my favorites with you today. So before we get started, I. I mean, obviously a follow-up activity can be just to answer comprehension questions out of, you know, a textbook or out of a book chapter or, you know, about a topic, but what exactly do we mean today when we're talking about the kinds of follow-ups we are going to talk about? It, it's more than just, you know, do you understand? It's, it's a little deeper. Uh, how, how would you define a Yeah, well, I think that First of all, I think it would be helpful to have some context because, you know, when I first started teaching and I was just using a textbook, I wasn't doing any communication with my students, not real communication. You know, we were doing vocabulary. I would introduce a vocabulary list. I would introduce a grammar concept, and then they would do practice activities with those. So the kinds of follow-up activities that we're going to be talking about today, if you're coming from a framework of... I'm following a textbook, I'm teaching my students grammar and vocabulary, these aren't going to make a lot of sense. So the context is we are in a communicative language class. A communicative language class isn't, when we say it, isn't where students are just talking to each other the whole time. Um, that's not all of communication. We are having a uh, yeah, communicative interactions with our students, which could be inter where they're interpreting um, and we're speaking. Um, it could be we're telling a story. It could be we are reading a book. It could be we're having a conversation about our lives. It could be that we're playing a game. So there's been some big communicative interaction. We've talked about something. We've read something together. We've listened to something. And now we want to engage either with the language from that or the content in a different way. And, you know, Carrie, you've, uh, you're uh, an author and you've written some of my absolute favorite <laughs> books for language learners. Thank you. Um, I think maybe because, partly because I think I like uh, tragic endings <laughs> and you have a lot of tragic endings in your Yes, uh, yeah, in I was your... talking to my students about our weekend plans, you know, and I said we were going to the Missouri Botanical Garden to see the garden glow, which is much like less dark than why we usually go to see the corpse flower bloom. And they were like, Okay, so things are starting to click together and make sense. You like to watch the yeah. corpse flower bloom. You're killing people in your books. Yes, 
Exactly. So you write my kind of literature. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, maybe we've, we've read one of your books and then a follow-up activity could either be an opportunity for us to help more students understand more of the text. Like maybe they didn't understand everything deeply the first way through. So we're doing a follow-up activity to help get all students on the comprehension train. So we're revisiting um, either facts, like specific facts from um, the, the text or kind of the text as a whole, or it might be that there's some linguistic term, some vocabulary that they were unfamiliar with. It was new to them in the chapter. And so we want to give them an opportunity to hear it again so that they get a little bit more comfortable um, interpreting it. So I, I kind of see those two purposes and they don't have to be separate. It could be both um, for follow-up activities that either we want to really help them understand um, better or the the content or the language. And I like what that about correlation because like in a textbook, they, it really, the language is so separated out. Um, you know, you yeah. do have like a vocabulary section and then a grammar section and to have, you know, some kind of a resource, even if you're tied to a textbook in your classroom, to have a resource like a reader or a little clip chat where you can put those words into context and they're not just these isolated little things, the follow-up becomes more meaningful because like you said, you know, we're revisiting content. We're making sure that students are understanding that everybody is comprehending uh, what's happening and, and that they can use them and not just list the words. Yeah. I mean, I, I forget who, who said it, but you know, words are never used devoid of, um, devoid of context in real life. And I always think about uh, this story that I had with, um, this is maybe a little bit off topic, but my older brother was, we were in the same grade and he had failed preschool and then he was like valedictorian of our class and so smart. And he, uh, I, I was taking a Facebook quiz one day when I was back visiting my parents and it was a vocabulary quiz and I had gotten this really high score. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to have Nate take it because I'm totally going to beat him. And so he, he's, uh, I, he walked in and I'm like, Nate, take this quiz. And he started taking it and it was like the second word in, and I don't remember what it was, but he was like, ah, oh, I, I mean, if that, if I used it, in a, if they use it in a sentence, I would know what it means. And, uh, I was like, that's so true that, you know, in it, it's, it's so backward to try to teach students like, you know, here's, here's these word meanings when they never, I mean, no one come walks up to you in real life and gives you a vocabulary quiz. <laughs> it's always, well, maybe in your context. And then, <laughs> 20 out of context. Just, Use it in a sense. Yeah. Exactly. Make an Adobe search. Well, and then, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and right now I homeschool my kids and, and we're, we have an English curriculum that teaches vocabulary. And what I'm, it, it finally clicked with me. There's uh you know, Dr. Kreshen talks about the um, reading, accelerating the rate of acquisition and, and uh, there's studies that talk about how much faster it is to learn a, learn a word meaning in context. And that's because learning the explicit meaning of a word is not enough to be able to use it because just because you know a word has a certain meaning, it doesn't mean that you can pop it into any context. And so reading, yeah, okay, maybe you're teaching, uh, maybe you have a vocabulary list to cover, but 
using them in context and communicative interactions is going to give your students the ability to see how those words are actually used in real life context of the language. We, you know, I've noticed that we are reading Marta Yedenak's book, La Princesa y el Guerrero. And one of the words mm -hmm. that she teaches in that book is merecer, to deserve. And about mm. two chapters, you know, we, I would pause and I would just kind of give a sticker for somebody that remembered it. But now they have acquired that word. And that isn't really a word that I've had students that re remembered long term before, because I mean, A, it's not something that comes up a ton, even in their L1 and the context in our classroom, you know, there's not a ton of times that comes up and it's not like in teen world, that's not an interesting word. Like, man, you right. uh, watch a show and they say a swear and you beep over it and they're all like, I know what that means. <laughs> but this one right. is not like that. And they've, they've acquired it through that text and they've seen it in, you know, we deserve each other. He deserves to win. They, so it's a lot of different contexts using mm -hmm. that same word. And then they've acquired it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's a word that in Spanish anyway, has some, I don't know, it, it can have some trickier constructions. Yes. Um, like you, you can't just pop it in anywhere. Um, or, you know, what follows it. So I think that, again, learning it in context through reading and you kind of learn what kinds of sentence, the structure of the sentence that it fits into unconsciously is, uh, makes it actually useful for students. So in the, so then in La Princesa y el Guerrero, then when you, um, what are some activities? So you read a chapter, what in, in that book, what, uh, just to pop on that word, uh, where does that come up in the book? Like what, what context are they using? It actually, so uh, the, this this book is the story of Iztachihuatl and Popocatépetl, two famous mm -hmm. um, volcanoes in Mexico. And the then uh, <laughs> they, yeah, it's Pico de Oirsaba, the, the third uh, that represents the third friend. It's like a, I don't know, you know, like a love triangle kind of legend yeah. that there's so many versions, but this is a lovely version that Marta wrote of the story. Um, so we really... They they talk about how their class is different. Like Isa is the princess and the warrior Popo, even though he's not a noble, he's a, an acclaimed warrior. So he deserves to be with her or mm. like the way he fights in battle. He deserves to win because he's such a good fighter. So there's like mm. lots of different or, you know, he doesn't deserve this kind of treatment. So um, it's just in a lot of there are a lot of great ways to work it into that story. And she did that like effortlessly. It just, um, it mm. pops up in all the right times to give them the repetitions they need without it feeling like, you know, a lesson where <laughs> you see it a bunch of times in one paragraph. Oh, we're learning a word now. <laughs> yeah, I deserve it. Do you deserve it? No, I don't deserve it. Do you deserve it? Mm -hmm. I remember John Bracey coined a, an expression for me and it was in the context of follow-up activities but I think it can apply to those um very obviously intentional repetition of words and text for things to not be a live action worksheet <laughs> so it's like okay like where kids can kind of see the purpose behind this like it, it doesn't feel real it feels like you're intentionally making me practice something for the sake of practicing. And I do think that, you know, there's a lot of texts out there where you, even as a reader, um, you can look at it and see like, okay, I get it. You're trying to tell me that rooms of the home vocabulary, or yes, you want me to get the word merece. And then, you know, with follow-up activities, 
it, you know, where it's like, okay, I think that we need to do five follow-up activities. And so we're just going to check off these boxes and they don't feel natural and purposeful as follow-ups to a commun- the communicative interaction, or like they don't feel like a continuation of this con- communicative interaction that we've already had. We did a really fun follow-up that was in the teacher's guide for the book. Um, It was something that was from Cindy Hitz. It was called The Last Word. And I'm very visual. So I'm often not good at reading directions and understanding how to do an activity. So I tend to stick to familiar activities that I already know how to use. And I thought, come on, this sounds like it's going to be fun. Let's just... Let's just try it and see. It was great. So they, it was a card game and I just had to print up the cards and get them ready. The kids helped me cut Mm -hmm. them out and um, they Mm -hmm. had a stack of sentence cards based on the chapter we had just read. They had a stack of sentence cards Mm -hmm. and the cards had like a sentence and then a dotted line and then a word. So the word is actually the last word of the sentence and it's all rereading okay. the text. Like they were literally rereading lines from the text, but one kid would draw yeah. a sentence card and they would read just down to the dotted line. The other kids, everybody has words in their hand and they have to look through their deck of words, their handful of words uh-huh. to see if they have the last word to that sentence. So they're okay, really- so it's like a, like a chain reaction kind of a, like you're trying to build a sequence yes, of the text. Yes, in, uh, in Somos, when we've done Somos, you have those, like there's a question and then you find the answer card yes. and connect it. Yes. And these are yes. almost like a, you know, a gap fill, but made into a card game. Yes. So it was really fun yes. for them. And they were so independent at it. You and know, some activities are not, but yeah, she does have the best ideas. So that was a really fun and meaningful follow-up. and. I mean, we could have done that on a worksheet, 100%. I could have given them a worksheet that gave the beginning of the sentence and asked them to pick a last word from a word bank. But for them to be able to sit and communicate and play it as a card game, it made a difference like in how engaged they were. So that brings me to question too, like, why, why, why change up follow-ups? It's so much quieter. I have so much more class control whenever I just say, get out your iPad and do the worksheet that's loaded for today. Why would I choose to bring chaos upon myself by doing fun follow-ups? Because it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we know. So, I mean, first of all, follow-up activities are not needed for the purpose of acquisition. You know, you don't have to, I could have a conversation with my students or I could have them read a chapter in a book and then we can move on. And it's not, all they need is that exposure to input that they understand in order to acquire a language. If I'm going to do a follow-up activity, it's because I want to park on that content for a while. And, um, hopefully it's been interesting content and that's why we're kind of sitting on it. Or maybe I want to do something with that content. We want to learn about something. And so if I want to stick with that content and that's going to be repetitive, then if we have, if we're repeating content and then we're always doing the same activities, that's going to be a boring class. And so yeah, I mean, always looking for new activities that are going to connect with different learners, like different kids are going to enjoy different things. And then also just so that 
yeah, there's an element of surprise and, and fun. Like, oh, here's this fun new thing we're going to do today. It's just fun. It is. <laughs> I don't really it's know. <laughs> in Spanish too, we're reading my book, Bianca Nieves. And one of the activities that was in the teacher's guide was just a tic-tac-toe game. I mean, like the simplest thing. One kid has the X sheet and one kid has the O sheet. And each, the boxes are numbered from one to nine. So Martina picks... Mm -hmm number one from, and so on my X sheet, I look around and I read the question in number one. And if she gets the answer right, then we put her O in both boxes. And so number one is gone now. So you're trying to get a tic-tac-toe. It's totally comprehension questions. It's revisiting that content. It's reinforcing some words that, you know, they need to have been, you know, starting to acquire, but how much more fun is it for you and me to get to play tic-tac-toe with each other? than to just oh, fill out a worksheet. Yeah, it, completely. You know, and I think that when we start teaching for acquisition, our class becomes, uh, it's, it's content-based language, uh, content-based language instruction. And the content, our, our content focus really is no longer the language. We're not trying to learn the language. We're trying to learn whatever it is that we're talking about and it's happening through the language. So, you know, with, with, um, I'm probably going to lose my train of thought here <laughs> Never. Um, with, with, <laughs> um, so in the same way that a content teacher, like a social studies teacher or a science teacher or a math teacher would need to come up with different activities to provide repeated, repeated exposure to the facts that they're trying to learn. In many cases where we end up having to do that in language classes, you know, maybe we are talking about um, Panama, the country of Panama. We're trying to learn facts about C Panama in Spanish class. I think our, do our it's Spanish happening ones in do the that in Somos? Is that a Somos unit? I think yeah. our Spanish ones do a yeah, unit. We added it. Yes, it fairly recently we added it. Was, it's unit three of the Somos curriculum, and it didn't used to have a cultural content um, but we added in the Panama aspect to it. So, you know, and so I we want our students to learn about Panama. those words, abre and sierra, and like the yeah. canal gates open. I just, I think that's such a clever connection. I, the Spanish one oh, teachers love it. Yes, sets them up for a success uh, down the road when they read your, um, your Panama Canal book. Yeah, yeah. What's the title of that one? Vector. Vector. That's right. I, I mean, I just love your books and you do so many where it's like the two different plot lines that are going back and forth, which kind of make it a, a you know, it's a harder read because it the, is. the readers have to track those two things. Um, but those are some, I think for that reason, you know, I just totally enjoy reading them. I love them. Thank I you. love your books. Um, but yeah, so in that, in that unit, then I'm not $5 to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't. I've always been a huge theory fan. Uh, in, in, so in that unit, you know, we're doing follow-up activities so that students can memorize the facts about Panama so that they learn different things about the Panama Canal. And I'm not, I don't actually end up assessing my students on that, but I want to provide them repeated exposure to the information, which is a, in, in, my experience, that's a really big shift for language classes. Usually you're trying to provide repeated exposure to grammar constructions, like practice this, practice this, practice this, or to vocabulary, you know, practice this, do a vocabulary game. And now the language acquisition is happening 
happening unconsciously while, uh, while we're focused on learning the content. And since it's a language class, I'm not assessing the content, the content learning. They're not going to fail the course if they don't learn the facts on Panama, but I do want them to learn that. So, so having fun follow-up activities like playing tic-tac-toe is fun. I, I, I mean, what is your, what are your, like, let's say top three, if you're going to do a follow-up that's meaningful, that goes beyond a worksheet that uh, is mm -hmm. easy for a teacher to implement. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be no prep, but you know, mm -hmm. something that's easy to understand, implement, what would you go for? Like, what are your top? Okay. So they change from time to time. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I go through phases and obviously I'm not in uh, the language classroom anymore. I'm, I'm homeschooling my kids, but a lot of the activities that I use in the co-op classes that I teach, um, they transfer to a language classroom, but then I'm still writing materials for language classes. So I kind of go through rhythms and the things I'm using a lot. And one that I've been parked on for quite a while now, um, well, I'll tell you too. So uh, is it's called Beep and we you, uh, you know, read something with your students or you tell your students about something or you have a conversation and then you get essentially a transcript of it. Um, it doesn't, you don't actually have to have it written down, but I think it, it's helpful for your own case. And then you just start telling it, but you make mistakes. So maybe I would say, okay, today we learned about author Carrie Toth. Um, Carrie Toth is a crocodile and the kids would go or you know make other some other sound like or like just screaming like out no and I'm like oh I'm like oh my gosh so you're right no Carrie Toth is not a crocodile Carrie Toth is an author and Carrie lives in a pineapple under the sea no oh that's right so I totally you're right oh my gosh Carrie lives in Illinois um and so you just go ahead and you you're retelling it based on, um, but making mistakes that kids have to catch you on. And I've done it where they're, they're looking at a printed copy of the text before, and I've done it where they're just listening before, but that one's great because it's no prep. And, um, I find especially younger kids think it's just hilarious. Um, my, I, you know, uh, I, I do it my in kids. high school and my kids think it's hilarious. Like I will, I can yeah. take a story that we've read and just, I make notes for myself. Like you said, a script is actually really handy because then you just have it there. Mm -hmm. You can lay it on your clipboard or whatever you carry mm -hmm. around in your hands and, and you have it as a, you know, a guide. And so I make little marks and I change things and it gives me time to think of something that will maybe get a reaction out of them because on the spot, mm -hmm. I don't always think yes. of the funniest thing, but yes. if I think about it ahead of time, I'm really funny. So. <laughs> Yes. No, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, it turns it into, it creates this shared experience that you, you've had, you know, you're, you're, yes, you're reviewing this content, but then it's like, oh my word, do you remember when Senor Toad said, <laughs> I just keep thinking about my kids. They, there was like a history sentence that we were reading and somebody said, instead of saying like, George Washington was the first president. They said George Washington was the first penguin. And they just thought that was it. And they were like, remember when mom said that George Washington was a penguin? <laughs> and so it becomes like this funny little uh, inside joke that you've had. And so, I know. And so, you know, just playing those games, like it's a connecting experience. It's easy for the kids. And, and that one I like because it's easy for the teacher too. I mean, my, uh, my, my bar for decide determining if something's like, 
low energy, low key for me is like, can I do it sitting down? And like that game, like I can be sitting down and, and, and saying it. So I like that one. What's, uh, tell me one of your favorites before I go to my next one. All right. Uh, one of my favorites, one of my, I'm like you, you know, my, my favorites change because I'm always trying to think of something else. Uh, we just, I, I kind of was in a spot where I wanted them to be rereading a little section of uh, like a chapter of our reader because there was so much key information in it. And so I had them, I, they were in groups and I had printed out like seven sentences from the reader and they picked up a sentence and then they stepped out in the hall. They're groups of three. They stepped out in the hall and they came in and they posed at the front of the room and all the other groups had to go through the chapter and try and figure out what they were posing as. So, I mean, that literally all the prep I had to do for that was pick out some sentences. I thought that they, that contained what I wanted to revisit, you know, the facts that I wanted to make sure were clear to them. Um, and were actable. Uh, and then they did all the legwork on that. You know, they were digging through the the text and trying to find it. And they would write it down on their whiteboard and every team that got it right would get a point. And then the next team would send actors. And uh, so, I mean, it was fun and it was rereading the text and they didn't even feel like they were rereading. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and something that you, you said in there reminded me that another kind of shift that happened for me when I first, when I taught my first novel in when I started teaching my first novel as a language teacher before I moved into comprehension focused instruction acquisition driven instruction I would always have students do follow-up activities from memory so like we'd read the chapter and then all of the activities would basically be like a quiz Like, do you remember what happened? Like, it would be comprehension questions, or you'd have to put these events in order, but not looking at the text, or you'd have to, we'd do like a freeze frame activity, but not looking at the text, like based on memory. And a a shift that happened in my thinking was that after I learned about language acquisition, and you know, you know that language acquisition happens when you're, when you understand messages that you hear or read, it's like, well, I want my kids to be continuing to listen and read. And so when you say you did that activity, students were um, searching the text. So they're reading the text again. That's really important. So you're not, you want to always give, if whenever possible, give students um, access to the text that you're having them review or, you know, continue to work with. And, you know, honestly, my goal is at the end, we're here in Spanish class to learn to produce Spanish. And so those little games and uh, even, you know, worksheet-based activities that we do as our fun follow-ups, like I'm in that not to have them, like you said, not to have it feel like a test or not to have them, you know, not be able to look up the answers. So a lot of times I do use the books to get them reading again, because then at the end, when we actually do something productive with the language, Uh, to retell the story or to, you know, compare or talk about the characters, they're ready because they've had that much more language exposure. All right. What's your last favorite? Um, Okay. So then, well, I guess both the, both of the ones that I'll do then are, I was thinking like there's different categories, you know, there's follow-up activities where you review the whole text and then there's follow-up activities where you kind of review isolated things. Um, So the other one that I've been using a lot lately is, I guess it could be both of those things, called Quick Grid Bingo. This is something that I 
came up with when I was um, trying to think of things that teachers could do during the pandemic, when you had students that were in the classroom, you had students that were virtual, like how can you yeah, have an that activity that's going to work well? Yeah. So all you do, you give students a uh, list of list of word, like a word bank. So you could give them a word cloud. You could give them a list. You could give them a grid, whatever. Give them a bunch of words. They make a little tic-tac-toe board. And um, so sometimes I call it tic-tac-bingo. Uh, back to tic-tac-toe. Uh, and they just choose nine of the words at random from your word bank. They fill it in on the little grid. So nine of them on their tic-tac-toe board. And then you start making either asking questions or making fill in the blank statements and if they have the word on their tic-tac-toe board that um, either answers the question you've given them or it completes the sentence they can mark it off and it's it looks like a tic-tac-toe board but it's bingo it's just like a you know you need a three in a row bingo so vertical horizontal whatever and then whenever they get you know whoever gets the first three um wins um yeah i love just it keep playing but yeah i mean so that's, i mean that one again you can do it you can do it no prep oh sorry what did you say no tic-tac-toe is a classic like there i mean it, it kids yeah. love it no matter how old they get yeah yeah so that was a an easy quick one what's one more from you oh well i i don't you have a lot of unfair game resources and I love the unfair game. Um, unfair game can be a couple of different things. Um, unfair game can be like a front loading type of activity for culture. So like Martina's a, a master at that. And I know Nellie does a lot of that stuff too. Um, Nellie Hughes, um, you can front load culture by putting up a question like about the Panama Canal, maybe before you you know, do this unit on it, you have, you know, the Panama Canal is located in and there's, they get choices and they pick, uh, the Panama Canal is blank miles long. There's no way for them to know yet, but they're trying to guess. And if they get it right, then, you know, they get to take or give away the points. And, um, but we play it a lot as a review at the end of things because, uh, the unfairness aspect. So basically you have a grid and the kids get, you know, if they take question 15, then whatever points are behind number 15 on the grid, those are the points they're going to get for answering the question. They want to stay closest to zero. So they have to decide, you know, in the first round, of course, they're going to give them away because they don't want to have any points, positive or negative. In the next round, though, if somebody has given them five points, it's a risk. Like, do I take it hoping it's a negative number and it'll knock my score down? Or do I give it away to try and punish the guys that just gave me? So it's just fun to watch their strategy as they play that. And I can give them the question. We can talk about the answer. And all of that is just more input that I'm giving them. Uh, but it also has that little gamified bit of, you know, our team can be out to get your team for a little while. <laughs> I mean, I could not love the unfair game more. That, that That's an activity that I learned from Julia Ullman, who helped with some of our French materials quite a while ago now. And I've just, it it, it has grown on me. And, and as I've discovered new reasons that it, it makes a great activity. And one of the biggest ones is that it totally levels the playing field. Because since students, if they get a question right, they might get positive or negative points. If they get a question wrong, they might still get points. 
And so it, it's not the smartest kids win or the fastest answers win. Anybody can win and there's really nothing. It's totally out of their control what happens. So I, I have found though, if you have younger learners, that's not a good game. They don't like unfair. Things, no, but, no. Um, young ones don't, don't like young unfair, but my, and every once school, in a while, yeah. there'll be one that gets their feelings hurt a little bit in class. And so we have to stop yeah. and say, okay, guys, we're not going to gang up on that team anymore. So yeah. Uh, and you're like, you this is a valuable life experience. Yes. <laughs> Um, Martina, thank you so much for joining me this morning. And I appreciate all of your, uh, just everything you put out into the world uh, for CI teachers, for teachers who are like curious to cross over from textbook to, you know, a more communicative classroom. I feel like SOMOS for me, when I changed into my new job position, like that was so good for my department because SOMOS is so well written to help a teacher who doesn't really know how to, um, you know, be in this communicative environment because they've always been very guided by, okay, now we, you know, the textbook, it's logical. You go from page two to page three or page three to page four. Um, and it's all, so SOMOS is so spelled out. I just love that about it. And I appreciate you sharing with all of us today. Um, you're such a, you're such a superstar. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Kim. I feel the same way about you and total honor to be invited on, uh, on this podcast. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we'll see everybody again soon with another episode. Thank you for watching. Bye-bye.